Amen. Amen. The Word of God, the Bible, is the final authority. As a Christian, that has to be our final authority. We cannot compromise here. We must stand on the Word of God. We must believe it. We must never put a question mark where God puts a period. If the Bible says it, we need to understand that is truth. Because Jesus said, as He prayed to God, Thy Word is truth. And we believe the Bible is His Word. It's okay to question the Word if you're studying to come to a place of understanding. You can say this. You can say, now God, what, now God, what did you mean by that? That's a pretty good question to ask. That's not doubt. That's not unbelief. But when we're questioning Him and we're saying, well, you know what? That's just too good to be true. How can that be possibly true? Because it really is. It really sounds too good to be true. I mean, just think about that. To make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life in a prayer of faith, believing with all of my heart and all of my sins were wiped out. He actually did it before I asked him because he did it for everybody. But that's just almost too good to be true. That he'd be willing to heal, that he'd be willing to deliver. It, it it's almost seems too good to be true. The Word of God, the Bible, is the will of God. What he says in the Bible is his will. Would you agree with me with that? If he said it in the Bible, that's his will. Now, you just agreed with me, so we've we got to understand that if we don't know what to do, the place we start is with the Word of God. And then we go to praying in the Spirit because we don't know what to do. There's no need to pray in English if you don't know what to do. You might as well pray in the Spirit, get in the Word, pray, pray in the Spirit. So, if the Bible says that God is a healer. And it does say that. And it says that by Jesus' stripes we were healed. If the Bible says that God is the healer, what do you think would be the will of God regarding healing? To be, to be healed would be the will of God. Is that what? I've read these verses in the Bible and you can look them up if you need to. It says He is the healer. Here's a great one. The Bible says that Jesus became poor, that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. Now, the context of the chapter is not talking about spiritual riches. It's talking about money. Okay, so, and you can read it for yourself. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, maybe. I have to find it. But if Jesus became poor, that we might be made rich, what would the will of God be regarding abundance? That we have it. That would be the will of God, that we would have abundance. After all, the psalmist said, The Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack, is what he said. Okay, so that has to be the will of God. Do, do we believe it or not? That's the question I always have to ask myself. If this is in your word, Father... Even though all of the circumstances around me don't agree with it, what do I agree with? You see, if I have symptoms of lack, that doesn't mean that, that, that uh, uh, the word isn't true. If I have symptoms of sickness, that doesn't mean the word isn't true. Right? If the Bible says that Jesus became sin, and it does say that, that you might be made the righteousness of God 
in him, what does that mean about your complete redemption? It means that is the will of God for you to be absolutely redeemed from your past. Absolutely redeemed. You are now, the Bible declares, the righteousness of God in Him. You're not going to be. You are now. You will always do, you will always act out what you really believe in your heart that you are. If you believe you're the righteousness of God in Christ, guess what you're going to do? Righteous things. That's what you do. That's what happens. The Bible says that. He became sin. The Bible says this, that the greater one lives inside of you. So what does that mean God's will is regarding you and your, your, your battle with the devil? I mean, His will is for you to win. His will is victory over Satan, over, over all those things that you fight. That is the will of God because that is the Word of God. See, in our lives... And I know that's not popular for a lot of people in a lot of churches. They don't want to say absolutely that the Bible is the Word of God. It is the answer. It is the unchangeable truth. But we must learn to take the Bible as the Word of God. If it is indeed the Word of God and we really believe it, do you, do you not think it would behoove us to read it once in a while? I mean, if, if, if you had an uncle that was extremely wealthy and he died, don't you think you would show up to the reading of the last will and testament to find out what it said, mostly to find out what do I get? So Tammy, many times, when we die, when I die, and that's going to be a long time from now, when I die, I want my kids to cry and cry and cry at the funeral because they're going to miss me. But then after that's over, I want them to come and go to the lawyer and say, okay, what do I get? And I want to be happy about that. The Bible is God's Word. If it really is His Word and its promises are really true, we need to take the time to find out what it promises us. By the way, every promise in the Bible is conditional. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but there's a lot of ifs in there. If you, then I is what God says a lot. Every promise is conditional. We must never make a doctrine out of a single verse but we must know what the Bible says. We must major on the majors and not major on the minors, but find out what the Bible says. We must, we must always consider the preponderance of Scripture to find out what it's talking about. What does it say? Can I take a half a verse in the Old Testament about a tattoo and make that my doctrine for my life? The answer is no, you can't do that. You've got to figure out what's that about. I don't like tattoos, but that doesn't mean I can make a doctrine about it. Amen. That's really good, Randy. Keep going. <coughs> we must never try to make the Word of God conform to us. We must make ourselves conform to the Word. And that's, that's what has to happen to us. I read this this last week. Years ago, y'all remember the guy named Paul Harvey that was on the radio and... and we're all old enough in this room, probably, except for you, Chris. I, I you remember him? Okay, okay. But he, he used to have the radio program. It's called The Rest of the Story. Remember that? It was called The Rest. But do you know his most popular radio broadcast ever, and he had lots of them, was when he, when he, when he read a prayer by Billy Graham on his radio broadcast. 
And this was the prayer that Billy Graham prayed as he prayed for the nation. He said this, he said, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask for your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. Man, that's the prayer we need to pray for America, right? He says, we know your word says, woe to those who call evil good. But that is, is exactly what we've done. We've lost our spiritual equilibrium and, and reversed our values. We've exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We've rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We've killed our unborn and called it choice. We've shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We've neglected to discipline our children and called it building self esteem. We've abused power and called it politics. We've coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We've ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today and to cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Amen. What a prayer. Now, obviously, that came from a guy who spent a lot of time in the Word, right? And the Word became his absolute end. He knew that he had to do that. You see, we must learn to hear and obey the Word. Whatever it says, be willing to what it says. Simply do whatever it instructs us to do. I know lots of people in the Christian world who are looking for loopholes so they don't have to obey. I've heard this one a lot of times. Well, now, I don't think tithing is in the New Testament. I mean, tithing is under the law. Ever heard that one before? Have you ever said it? No, don't, 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 don't tell me if you've said it. Well, is that true? Could it possibly be true? Where did tithing even come from? Do you remember in the Bible? When was the first time somebody tithed? It was Abraham. It was Abraham when he tithed to Melchizedek. How far was that before or after the law? Way before. Way before the law, like 400 years before the law. So tithing can't be under the law if Abraham tithed before the law. In fact, all of Israel tithed in Abraham. Wait a minute, all the church did too. Can I tell you why? Because we are the children of Abraham according to Scripture. Is it in the New Testament? Oh, absolutely. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says in, in the Old Covenant, men took the tithe. But in the New Covenant, we give our tithe to the one who is greater, talking about Jesus. It's in the Scripture, and it's in the New Testament. and we have to. But, pe but people want to get out of that one. And, you know, people say this, well, I know what the Bible says, but. There's no but. There is no, you're going to have to get off your butt right there. You're going to start, so you're gonna start there, I know what the Bible says, and I believe it. Well, my uncle believed he was, he was going to be healed, and he died, so I don't believe that healing stuff. Really? Does your uncle's experience make the Word of God invalid? How can that be? The Word of God is what's true. Well, you know, I don't like all that prosperity teaching. All preachers want is your money. Can I tell you who wants your money? McDonald's. <laughs> that is all they want is your money. Seriously, their food is not that great, and yet they want your money in exchange for it. Almost seems to me like sometimes they ought to pay me to take some of it. I haven't been there in years, so I'm sorry. They want your money. If you think McDonald's is, is here to help you, if, if your grandkid gets sick in the middle of the night, call them and see if they'll come and pray for him. Call them and see if, 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 they'll, if they'll come to the hospital and visit you. No, no. That, McDonald's wants your money. Now, there are some preachers. I get it. I mean, there are a few greedy ministers that have nullified the written word. 
But that isn't the way it is everywhere. And that's not an excuse to not believe what God says. We must be quick to obey. I'm going to give you a couple of silly stories right quick. I read about a salesman. He rang the bell at a suburban home, and a nine-year-old boy was puffing a big, long, black cigar as he opened the door. And the salesman looked at him, and he said, um, Is your mother home? The kid took a big old, big old puff on the cigar, took it out of his mouth, flicked ashes in the carpet, and said, What do you think? I think sometimes the church is like the salesman. We see what's going on. We view it. And yet, we just try to pretend it's not there. It's not really happening. This is a great story I'm going to tell you here. I read about the CIA had had an opening for an assassin. They were going to hire an assassin. After all the background checks, interviews, and testing were done, there were three finalists, two men and a woman. For the final test, the CIA agents took one of the men to a large metal, through a large metal door, handed him a gun. And they said, on the other side of this door, we've got to know you're going to follow our instructions no matter what the circumstances. Inside this room, you're going to find your wife sitting in a chair. Kill her. So the man said, you can't be serious. I could never shoot my wife. I mean, I, I couldn't do that. And the agent said, well, then you're not the right man for the job. Go get your wife and go home. So the second man, they gave him the same instructions. He, went in the, he took the gun, went in the room. It was quiet for about five minutes. And then the man came out and he was crying. And he said, I, 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 I tried, but I can't kill my wife. And they said, well, you don't have what it takes. Take your wife and go home. Well, now it's the woman's turn. She was given the same instructions to kill her husband. So she took the gun. She went in the room. Shots were heard. One after another after another. They heard screaming, crashing, banging on the walls. After a few minutes, it got quiet. The door opened. Slowly came out the woman, stood before them, wiping the sweat from her brow. She said, that gun was loaded with blanks. I had to beat him to death with the chair. <laughs> That's pretty drastic, but we need to, whatever he says do, we do. Amen. We need to take the word of God and say, this is what I do. Whatever you say, Father, no matter how crazy it sounds I do what you say I do what you tell me to do I'll read to you from Luke chapter 19 beginning in verse 1 and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus which was the chief among the publicans and he was rich and he sought to see Jesus who he was and he could not for the press or the crowd because he was of little stature and he ran before and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be the guest of a man that was a sinner. And Zacchaeus, isn't that interesting? It wasn't because he was a sinner, it's because he was rich, that's what they were mad about. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore to him fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, uh, he said, This day is the salvation come to this house, for so much as he is also the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I really like this story. I've liked it since I was a little kid. You know, we all know the story how Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Mm-hmm. Climbed up in the sycamore tree and we did all the, all the motions. It, it, was, it was always good. But Zacchaeus was, was this little guy. And I kind of like him. He had, first of all, he had to get away from the crowd 
to see Jesus. He, we, sometimes you just got to get away from people to see who Jesus is. If you're the right crowd, they'll take you to Jesus, but you still got to get away from the crowd in order to experience him for yourself. Um, if you're with the wrong crowd, you'll never get close to Jesus. I like Zacchaeus. He was rich. And that's something. I find from this passage of Scripture, Jesus was not against rich people. It, it, it didn't bother Jesus. The only reason Jesus went to the city of Jericho that we can tell in this story, the only reason he went was to meet and have lunch with Zacchaeus. We don't, there's nothing else recorded that he did while he was there. He healed some blind people on the way. He healed Bartimaeus on the way home. But he came there just to see Zacchaeus. He, Jesus is not bothered if we have money. Jesus bother, is bothered if money has us. He, he, he doesn't mind about the money. That, that's fine with him. Uh, Jesus was hanging out with this rich guy at his house having lunch, and it bothered a lot of people. I mean, we've been trained over the decades that rich people are evil. And the only way you can be rich is if you steal it from somebody, which is simply not true. But Jesus hung out with this guy, and, 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 and he, he had no problem with him. So I want to talk about this for just a minute. Most of us, I'm going to get back to Zacchaeus in a few minutes. Most of us want Christianity to be easy. In fact, many Christians decide on the will of God as to how easy it might be. And they decide if it's easy, it must be the will of God. And if it's hard, it must not be the will of God. Because after all, God wouldn't want us to have to go through anything hard. We want everything to be easy. I mean, that's just human nature. We want it to be easy. Someone said one time, the path of least resistance makes men and rivers crooked. We want the path of least resistance. We want it to be easy for us. We want to win the lottery and not have to work hard and save. We want to fall in love and not have to work on a relationship. We just want her to fall in love with me and me to fall in love with her. We want the same thing with God. We want to raise a promotion, but we don't want to do the work any more than the minimum that's required. We want to be in shape and live a long time without exercise. That's just the way we are. That's, what, that's the way human beings are. It doesn't work that way. We want Christianity to be the same way. We want it to be easy. We want to do nothing and get all the benefits. And, but if you read the Bible, you find out that all this is an exchange. It's not about works. It's about our love for Him, our relationship with Him. It's not about our works, but it, there's an exchange that has to be take, take place. As I've already said, the promises are all conditional. All right? People have been told that if they just get saved, that Jesus will solve all their problems. If that's what's being taught, then what that means is Jesus is not the Savior. He's the problem solver. Many get saved because, many don't get saved because they've sinned, but they just want to get their broken lives fixed. And they come to church, they're already emotionally out there, the preacher preaches a compelling message, and so they get saved, they're crying and the whole thing because they want to get the problem fixed. All right? Don't get me wrong, when you get saved and you turn these things over to Jesus, He can help you fix those problems. All right? But he, it's a fix that you work with Him, it's not just magic. Many fail to continue to follow Jesus after a time because either the problem didn't get resolved in a time to their liking, or the problem did get solved, and now they don't need Jesus anymore. And so they walk away because the relationship wasn't based on Him being my Lord and my Savior. It's based on Him being the one who fixes my problems. He does all that, but He's Lord first and Savior. He must be that. Right? If He's our Savior and our Lord, 
We can never let go of him because it's not about my problem. It's about him and his kingdom. Right? So when, many, when Christianity gets hard, many fall away. Jesus talked about the seed that falls and that, that the weeds choke it out because of the problems in life, because it wasn't about him. So I did a, a Google search yesterday or the day before on the word easy. Okay, just find out what kind of... Do you know, when I did a Google search of the word easy, there was all, all these pictures of this easy button that used to be the at the, uh, whatever, whatever, that's, whatever that office place yeah, was. Staples. 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 And so, and that, and we said, I, just, I just did easy. And so all these easy buttons are everywhere. Y'all remember those commercials where people hit the easy button on there? They would just, you know... I mean, I heard about a guy that went to a gas station, had to be a full-service gas station, and the attendant, he filled up his truck, and the, the attendant said, okay, that'll be $91.50. And the guy pulls out the easy button. And he said, will this help? I mean, and what, what if I push this? Will this help? And the gas station said, said well, it will still be $91.50. Because you're not going to... There's no easy button for the price of gas. Well, in those commercials, though, the people in offices would push the button and office supplies would just suddenly appear. Because if you needed it, you pushed the easy button and it was easy to get them. I mean, easy. We, and that's why... I, wouldn't that be cool if Christianity was that way? <coughs> Jesus, I need healing. Push the button, boom, and you're healed. Jesus, I need $1,000. Boom, there you got it. I wish it was, sometimes I wish it was that way. But then it wouldn't be about faith, would it? We or, and we wouldn't be grateful, you're right. Or, we want to live on easy street. I did a search about easy street too in Google. And what I came up with there was a bunch of YouTube videos about the bad guys in the musical Annie with Eileen Quinn. And they're singing a song about how life would be easy once they swindled all the money from Daddy Warbucks. So I'm discovering here there's really no easy button. There's not an easy street. There may be a Grace Street or a Patience Avenue or a Faith Boulevard, but there's no easy street as far as Christianity is concerned. I mean, Jesus is the way to life. There's nobody else, but there is no easy button. There's no easy street. Jesus promised that all things are possible he didn't promise that all things were easy. We sometimes think those are the same thing, but just because it's possible doesn't make it easy. I mean, the Bible says that we're to take up our cross daily. Now, that does not sound easy. Jesus said, my burden is light. Here you go. My yoke is easy. Unfortunately, the Greek word means employed, useful, fit for use, or good. In other words, when we connect with Him, He engages in this endeavor with us and makes the job possible. That's what Jesus is saying. Okay, The burden is light, but with Him, He connects in the yoke with us. And it makes it makes able to do it. The Bible says that we are to give our lives away in order to gain real life. There's no victory over the devil without a fight. And fight doesn't sound easy. But I hear people say this. Yes, but we are saved by grace. It's not about works. Good question. Good statement. Ephesians 2.8 says, for, we're, for by grace are you saved through faith. It says, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The works referred to here are ones that men can boast of, works of the flesh. The Bible says we're saved, we're saved by grace through faith. 
The purpose of faith is to bring the grace that gets you to do what you're supposed to do. Faith without works is dead. Let me read verse 9 again. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This salvation that comes to us by grace through faith is so we will do something. Well, that's pretty good. The purpose of faith is to bring the grace that empowers us to do what He's assigned us to do. And I say this all the time, if we're still here, we still have an assignment here. And we need to be finding what that is so we can do that. So there's no easy button. There's, it's a supernatural connection that makes all things possible. But Jesus said, all things are possible to who? To him that believeth. It's about believing what he says. We look back at Zacchaeus. He had a handicap. He was short. He was a short guy. All right? Now, we're not going to demean people with, with, with handicaps if they can't see, walk, hear, or talk. But Zacchaeus was at a disadvantage because he apparently was way shorter than everybody else. Way shorter. But Zacchaeus didn't allow his handicap to prevent him from finding Jesus. He did take, though, some work on his part to get to see Jesus. Remember the story? It says he had to run. I don't know about you, but I think the word mean, that the word run means work. It's work to run, isn't it? It's work. I remember Fat Albert used to say, no, 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 don't like to run. It's work to run. It's work to have to run. The word in the Greek means to outrun. He had to run faster than other people. It takes effort. I mean, it's hard work. I mean, if, if it, I mean, people don't like to do physical exercise because it's hard work. If it was easy, all of us would weigh the right amount. I mean, you'd think that a rich person like Zacchaeus would have an easy button. He could just push it. He had to climb a tree. Have you climbed a tree lately? I mean... Especially if you're a real short guy, it's not as easy to do because you've got to reach and get all those rims, limbs and all that stuff. And so there was no easy button. But if he was going to see Jesus, there were things he was going to have to do in spite of his height. Many people these days and for a long time are, are facing situations and they're saying, well, if God wants to help me, he, if it's his will, then he'll come and do it. Wait a minute. Do we already know what His will might be? We already said His Word is His will. If I can find it in His Word, then I know that's His will. A lot of people have assumed that things may or may not be the will of God based on how hard they are. Most Christians, and I'm going to say most, most Christians are waiting on God. I'm going to tell you this, God is waiting on us. He's waiting on us to do what we're supposed to do. He is not our heavenly butler, he is not like, you know, we pull the bell, bong, and Lurch walks in and says, you reign. He is God Almighty. He, we serve him, not vice versa. God is looking for people who are willing to get out of their comfort zones into the arena of Bible faith so he can do the miraculous things the scripture promises. And that is what the world needs to see. That's what this nation needs to see. Christians standing on the word of God. I'm going to read you some scriptures here. Mark chapter 5, verse 34. Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He said to the woman with the issue of blood, He said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. 
Whose faith? Yours. Your faith has made you whole. Mark chapter 10, verse 52 to Bartimaeus. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Luke chapter 7, verse 50 to the sinful woman who was washing his feet with her tears. Thy faith hath saved thee. Luke chapter 17, 19 to the, to the leper that returned to give him thanks. He said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Luke 18, 42 to, to the, blind, the blind, when he was going into Jericho, to the blind men there, he said, Thy faith hath saved thee. Five times in the scripture, Jesus said, Your faith did this. Now just once, five times he said that. Your faith did this. He's, well, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I, I didn't do this. You did. You did this. You did this. He, he's saying, your faith accomplished this. Not my coming to get you at your house to make it happen. My faith. Faith is the channel for grace, God's empowerment that accomplishes His will. In fact, when Jesus said that to the woman with the issue of blood, He didn't even know who she was. He had to turn around in the crowd and say, Who touched me? And they're like, Well, Jesus, everybody's touching you. And He said, No, no. One person touched me that was different. I felt virtue come out of me, power come out of me. And the lady was so embarrassed, she finally said, It was me. And that's when he said, your faith did this. It, there was no easy button. They had to believe in spite of every circumstance they were facing. They had to believe. I mean, they had to do something. They had to, be refused, they had to refuse to be denied their miracles. I mean, here, Zacchaeus had to run and climb a tree. It, it cost him that. It cost him a meal. It cost him an afternoon. But he had to do something. He had to get out of the ordinary. He had to believe what God says. I found out the only thing that comes to us without effort is old age. It just comes. I mean, think about the story of the men who lowered their friend through the roof. Remember that story? Jesus is in Capernaum at his house. He's preaching to people. And these people come up. Four guys got to have a guy on a, lead, a, a leader and they're carrying him and he can't walk. He's paralyzed. They come and they, they can't get through the crowd. They're trying to get through and they can't figure out how to do it. And somebody came with the idea, well, well if we can't get to the door, let's go through the roof. You're, have you ever thought that before? I mean, this, oh, it's too crowded at the football game. Let's just go through the roof and come down that way. Let's go, let's do that. No, they went to the roof. They began to dig a hole in the roof of Jesus' house. They're tearing it open. They're tearing the house open and just think the stuff is falling down on Jesus and he's trying to preach and the Pharisees, <coughs> excuse me, the, the Bible says that, that, the, that the, the presence of the Lord was there to heal them and the Pharisees ignored it and they tear this hole. It had to be a pretty big hole because the guy is on a stretcher. And they're lowering him down. They got There's work to be done. Work to be done to get this guy down through that hole. They dig a big enough hole to get him down. Then they got to have some ropes. So somebody either went and got ropes or they brought ropes or they were prepared with it. And they lowered the guy down to get him down to where Jesus was. The Bible says Jesus saw their faith. It was visible to him. He saw their faith. And he told the guy, he, <laughs> I love the story. He says, your sins are forgiven you. Well, that was good enough, right? Not that day. And the Pharisees were all torn up about it. And they thought, who? Who has authority to forgive sins in this earth? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, uh, just so you'll know, I have authority in the earth to forgive sins. 
And to me, there's no difference in forgiving a sin and healing a body. So I say to you, take up your bed and walk. And now that guy has a decision to make. He's got to get out of that bed. He has to believe enough to begin to stand up. There was no easy button to push. They had to do what they were supposed to do. Jesus saw their faith. They could have gotten there and gone away and decided they couldn't get there, but they refused to be denied. The blind man, Bartimaeus, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. Jesus is walking down the road on the way home, going to Jerusalem to be crucified from Jericho, walking down. And Bartimaeus heard, he asked, somewhere he asked, who, who is it? And they said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And Bartimaeus began to scream at Jesus. The Bible says the Greek word, when he began to call it, it means he began to croak like a raven. And he began to cry out to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And all the people that were with Jesus, they came and they said, this is what the Greek says in the Greek, they said, shut up. I'm thinking Bartimaeus said something like this, you shut up. I'm talking to Jesus. And he began to cry out over and over and over, unwilling to be denied. It wasn't easy. He had to go against the opinion of the crowd, everyone. And finally, Jesus stopped and said, bring him to me. And literally, in, in the Greek, it literally says, they went to him and said, this is your lucky day. <laughs> Jesus is calling you. It wasn't his lucky day at all. He believed Son of David, he knew he was the Messiah and he knew he was the one that would heal him of his blindness. And he got there and Jesus, that story is so funny to me because Jesus said, what do you want? He threw off his beggar's coat, went up there and Jesus said, what do you want? He said, I want to see again. And Jesus healed him on the spot. The woman with the issue of blood had to fight through a crowd. The Bible says, says that Jesus was, he was crowded. They were all around him. Literally thousands of people are around him. She was unclean. She had to fight through her emotions of, of probably getting, getting ostracized from, from... She was already out of there because she was a leper. I mean, she was sick. She couldn't go to church. But she had to fight through all the, 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 the social norms and the social things. She fought. She said, if I can touch just the hem of his garment, I'll be whole. The hem of his garment's on the ground. And I can see that woman crawling, fighting through the feet and ankles of people to finally touch the hem of his garment. And she was made whole. It wasn't easy, but she got what she wanted and she didn't have an easy button. And the woman that was sinful that Jesus forgave, I mean, she came to a Pharisee's house. Think about that. She was sinful. And the Pharisee knew she was a sinner because he said in in his own heart, if he knew what kind of person she was, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. But she fought through it, interrupted their dinner, ran the risk of Jesus rejecting her. But she humbled herself and she washed her feet with his tears. Remember when I went to see Catherine Kuhlman in 1973? We were outside the Lubbock Municipal Coliseum. I've told you this story that we got there at 3 and it was at 7. I couldn't figure out why we were there, but we got there. And there was a look in people's faces that I had never seen before people that were sick, people that needed miracles. They were standing and they were waiting and some began to sing worship songs. I didn't really know those because I had been a Baptist all my life and I only knew hymns out of the hymnal. They're singing these worship songs. But there was a desperation in people's lives. They were willing to do anything to find God, to be healed of their diseases. I mean, there was no easy button. They stood for the three hours I stood or four out there because they, they, they wanted something. 
the Bible says this, Let us therefore fear, this is Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 1. Let us therefore fear, the word fear here means be in awe of, revere, to reverence, to venerate, to treat with deference or reverential obedience. In other words, have tremendous respect. Let us fear, lest a promise being left of us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. God wants us to rest. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished before the foundation of the world. There is a rest. We have to hear the good news, but we have to mix it with faith. We have to believe what it says. Verse 6 says, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not because of unbelief. Verse 11 says, Let us therefore labor, work, some at work, therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the biting asunder of the soul and the spirit, to the joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the Bible here says, if we will mix the word with faith and believe it, I mean, we need to, and if we'll do that, we can stay with it. If your faith is not based on the word, you'll quit before you get what God promised you. The good news will not profit the person if they don't get a revelation of what it's saying. When we really believe what God has promised, we can rest. We can rest. This week, I was praying about something. And it's a big deal in our lives. And I'm praying about it. And as I was praying, I said the phrase, Jehovah Shalom. Obviously, that is the God of nothing missing, nothing broken. And I was praying about this situation. And I, I cried out to Jehovah Shalom. All of a sudden, out of heaven, this joy dropped into my spirit and I knew my prayer is answered. I have, I have no circumstantial evidence that it's answered. But when that dropped in my spirit, I began to laugh and I began to celebrate and I began to sing because He is the God of His Word. He will do whatever He says He will do. I mean, I was so excited. My job now is to rest in faith. I don't have to worry. Doesn't mean I'm not going to pray anymore, but doesn't mean, it means that, man, I know that God took care of my situation. And I am so excited for it. I mean, I told Tammy when she got home, I said, man, I am so excited because God came right into my spirit and gave me the joy. I mean, resting in faith is unwavering confidence in and obedience to the Word of God. I mean, confident that God will do what He said He would do. I mean, man, when, we're, when we're facing the trials, we need to find Him, find what His Word says, act and believe confidently in the promise of God. I mean, it's acting on, it's believing. The word rest means to sit down in a place, a calming of the winds, putting to rest. We are to, we are to, to resist all of the, the stuff that's going on and rest. The scripture says labor to rest. 
means to use speed, to make effort, to be prompt or earnest, to hasten, to make haste, to exert oneself, endeavor, give diligence. In other words, we've got to do everything we can possibly do to stay in rest, to stay in faith, to believe what God said we can do. How do you do that? You fill your mind with the Word of God. You fill your mouth with the Word of God. I mean, you get away from every opinion that disagrees with what the Word says. You do everything and everything, anything, that you only see what the Word says. Because the Word, the Scripture says, is alive. And it can and will change the situation. There's no easy button. You just have to believe the Word of God. We must be willing to believe what it says. I'm going to close with a story here. I'll read it to you. There's a man named Ken Davis, and he wrote this. He said, In college, I was asked to prepare a lesson to teach my speech class. We were to be graded on our creativity and ability to drive home a point in a memorable way. The title of my talk was The Law of the Pendulum. <laughs> that doesn't sound very exciting. I spent 20 minutes carefully teaching the physical principle that governs a swinging pendulum. The law of the pendulum is a pendulum can never return to a higher point than the point from which it was released. You all know that story. You know how to do that. The pendulum it will never go higher than where it was released initially. Because of friction and gravity, when the pendulum returns, it will fall short of its original release point. Each time it swings, it makes less and less of an arc until finally it's at rest. This is the point of the rest. This, at this point of the rest is called the state of weak equilibrium, where all forces acting on the pendulum are equal. So I attached a three-foot string to a child's uh, toy top, and I secured it to the top of, a, of the blackboard with a thumbtack, and I pulled it to the top one side to the mark with the mark of the blackboard, and I let it go. And each time it swung, it made it, and I made a new mark. It took less than a minute for it to, to stop, its, stop its swinging. When I finished the demonstration, the markings on the blackboard proved my thesis. Then I asked how many people in the room believed the law of the pendulum was true. All of my classmates raised their hands, so did the teacher, and he started to walk in front of the room thinking the class was over. In reality, it had just begun. Hanging on a steel beam from the ceiling, of the, from the ceiling in the middle of the room was a large, crude, but functional pendulum. There was a 250-pound metal weight tied to four strands of 500-pound test parachute cord. I invited the instructor to climb up on a table, sit in a chair in the back of his head, lean against a cement wall. Then I brought the 250-pound pounds of metal up to his nose. Holding the huge pendulum just a fraction of an inch from his face, I once again explained the law of the pendulum, and he applauded that he had applauded only moments before. I said, if the law of the pendulum is true, then when I release this mass of metal, it will swing across the room and return short of its release point. Your nose will be in no danger. After that final statement I looked uh, of this law, I looked him in the eye and asked him, Sir, do you believe the law is true? He's got this, it's right up his face. He said there was a long pause. Huge beads of sweat formed in his upper lip. Then, then, quickly, then he weakly nodded and whispered, Yes, I released the pendulum. It made a swishing sound as it, as it arced across the room. At the far end of its swing, it paused momentarily and started back. I never saw a man move so fast in my life. He literally dived from the table, deftly stepping around the still-swinging pendulum. I asked the class, does he believe in the law of the pendulum? And the students unanimously answered, no. Here's my question. Do we believe in the Word? Are we willing to stake our lives on the promise of Jesus? Are we willing to go all the way? When we do, our actions will verify our faith. And we've got to know, we have a part in the process. We have a part to play here. If he says it, it's easy, easy, easy for us to sit in this room tonight and say, 
I believe the Word of God. But when you're by yourself, or when you're in the middle of, of, of the panic of everyone else, do you still believe it? Are you willing to stand on what God said? There's no easy button here. There's no easy street. There's no easy peasy or easy greasy or whatever you might say. You simply have to believe it and rest in what you know is true. Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you that your word is absolutely true. God, I pray that in us comes the character that says God's word is true. I will stand on it. I will believe it. I will not move from it, no matter the circumstances. Thank you, Father, for your willingness and your will to heal us, to deliver us, to rescue us. Lord, to prosper us. Father, to, to make us the righteousness of God in Christ. Lord, I thank you tonight. Your word is absolutely true. I give you praise. I pray that we rise up confident men and women of faith standing on your word. In Jesus' name, amen.